next thing, the last task is just go go pick pick it up where you left off. Um, and peace be yours, each one of you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a different way of saying good morning, grace and peace be yours. And I wonder through the week as you uh, meet people, you may not feel quite comfortable saying that to everyone, say in the supermarket or whatever, but maybe as you say hello, quietly, inwardly, you can be saying to them grace and peace. And if, if it is right to say this year, it's a beautiful way of greeting. And it's the common way of greeting that Paul used at the beginning of his letters in the New Testament. It's also a common way in which he ended those letters. My dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Some of you may be familiar with the blessing or benediction that is used in some churches, sometimes in their services or in their meetings, where they say, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and evermore. Amen. But that amen's not actually the end of the sermon. Well, two weeks ago, Megan introduced us to the series on Galatians, Truly Free. If you are able to watch the video that is mentioned in the newsletter and there's a link for it, it's really worth seeing. It's about seven, eight minutes, Megan, something like that. And it's a fantastic overview, it, done in a very clever way, of the whole book of Galatians. So I encourage you to watch it. But grace features in the book of Galatians seven times, could even be more depending on the translation that you read. It's the framework on which Galatians is based. It's there at the beginning and at the end of the letter. So it's, 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 it's kind of like the, the bookends of Galatians. It holds it together, grace. The Christian life from beginning to end is the result of God's grace through Jesus Christ and is empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit, God's grace. There is nothing a Christian can do to add anything to Christ's saving grace. Human effort will not transform our heart. Even though we may do good work, and try to be better. Self-help books or self-development courses all have a place in life and can be helpful, but they cannot actually change the condition of our heart. Only Jesus, only grace, only God. By way of background to Galatians, why is Paul so strong and so passionate about grace and freedom? As a missionary apostle, apostle and, and leader, 
Paul loved the churches he established and he visited them and he would write letters to them. We have them contained in the New Testament, but there are probably more that he would have written that we don't have. They were, these churches were like his baby. He wanted to protect them from false teaching and encourage them to focus only on Jesus, more than encourage, it was insist that they focus only on Jesus. So in the early days of the church, it was vital that the, these young churches, these young Christians would not be confused by false teaching. It would have spoilt the growth and the spread of the Christian faith. That's why he's so strong. And he was particularly defensive of people who had not been Christians for very long. He regarded them as spiritual babies and thus so easily influenced. And this is behind his words in verse 6. So it's very early on in Galatians. He gets straight into it. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who in his love and mercy, that's what grace means, love and mercy and kindness, who in his love and mercy called you to share the eternal life he gives through Christ. How interesting that in those early years as the Christian faith spread, there were controversies over theology and beliefs. And it's continued down through all of history and even today. It's why we have to focus on Jesus, on the essentials, on the non-negotiables, and not argue too much about the things that are not essential. Well, Paul was so angry that he called down the curses on false teachers and the legalists who were turning away Gentiles or the non-Jewish people turning them away from Jesus by saying things like, unless you are circumcised, you are not a true follower of Jesus. Unless you follow all the traditional Jewish laws, you're not accepted in this group. There were three traditional Jewish customs that had been held by them through generations. It actually helped to maintain their identity as a group. And those three customs were the custom of circumcision for all men, particular laws regarding food, and the observance of certain holy days. There were other things as well, but they were the three main traditional customs that formed them as a people. Many Jews continue to hold those traditions today. I have uh, a Jewish friend who won't answer her phone or make any calls on the Sabbath. She observes the food law with a separate area for preparing meat and a separate area for preparing food that contains dairy products. There are many other restrictions that she places on her life. Now, she is a good person. And I love her very much. And I respect the way that she expresses her faith. But I don't consider that her rules are the rules for me as a follower of Jesus. 
Now, I qualify it in some way because it's not that those rules were bad. I mean, the laws regarding food are all to do with health. So they're not bad. But observance of holy days. The principle of Sabbath is actually a very good principle. But it's not a rule. And all the rules that got attached to how you observe the Sabbath became a burden on people. So it's actually good, however you might observe a Sabbath, but having some time in your rhythm of life where there is rest, where you draw away from all of the things that drive your agenda seven days a week. So those rules are not bad. But when they come between a person and Jesus, they've lost their essential significance. Now, Megan preached on Galatians 1 a fortnight ago, and last week you heard stories from people about how they have been set free by Jesus. And John, I was going to cover the first part of chapter 2 soon. He wasn't able to do it last week because he was ill, but we don't want his good preparation to, go, uh, to be wasted. So today we're looking at chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. And I'm going to do that in three sections. So you won't hear the whole passage altogether. It might help you, uh, help us to focus on each section. But as you hear the readings and my thoughts, I want you to keep in mind the big themes of grace and being truly free. Keep in mind that as we hear the reading. So the first section is verses 11 to 14 from chapter 2. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Notice how Paul dealt with this conflict. Now the people involved were Paul, Peter, Barnabas, all leaders in the early church, the Jewish people who belonged to the church in Antioch, a Jewish group from Jerusalem where James was the leader, and James being the brother of Jesus, and the Gentile believers. Now, we know who Paul was. Originally, he was from Tarsus. He was a Jewish man absolutely devoted to the Jewish law, the Jewish faith, a keeper of the Torah, and all of the laws, and he had no time for the people who believed that Jesus was Messiah. For Paul at that time, Saul as he was called then, 
Jesus was not the Messiah. Such was his hatred of the early Christians and his passionate devotion to the Jewish faith that he violently persecuted these early Christians. You can read about that in, uh, in Acts. But a life-changing event for him on the way to Damascus. He was going to to Damascus to conduct persecution raids on the Christians. But on his way, he was dramatically confronted by the risen Lord Jesus. And he became a believer in Jesus and zealous and passionate in his commitment to Christ. So you have this complete turnaround in this man from fanatical persecutor to the writer of half of the New Testament. How does that happen? Is it any wonder that Paul wrote so much about grace? He had experienced grace deeply in his life from the Lord Jesus. He had approved murderous raids on the Christians. And now here he is, accepted into the kingdom of God. That's why grace features so much in his writing. Now the conflict affecting the church in Antioch was about whether Gentile Christians had to obey all of the Jewish laws, particularly those three main ones, including that one about circumcision. Otherwise, you were not part of the accepted group. The Jewish group that was trying to influence this church was very legalistic and wanted to insist that the Gentile group, the non-Jews, had to obey all the Jewish traditions as well as believing in Jesus. So at this point, Paul defended, defended the Gentile Christians and emphatically said, no, no. Have you ever been asked, are you a born-again Christian? Has anybody ever asked you that? Now, there's something that's actually meant in that question because a Christian actually means born again. When people ask you, it's as though there are two classes of Christians. Christians, then super Christians plus. They might mean whether you speak in tongues or not, or whether you've had a miraculous spiritual experience. But born again comes from Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Unless you are born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. So if we are part of the kingdom of God, which we are invited to be part of through Jesus, you are born again. Whether you speak in tongues or not, whether you heal people or not, So remember that, Christian means born again. When Megan preached a fortnight ago, she said that some people want to impose extra expectations on people, like Jesus plus. 
No, nothing needs to be added to Jesus. So what happens in this conflict? Notice how Paul deals with it. He didn't hide behind an angry email. This is not the way to solve conflicts. It actually creates more conflicts. Have you ever had an angry email? Or you'd like to reply in a certain way and you might start the email but you don't first speak. I've kind of got a little rule that if there's a difficulty to in an email, I'll, I'll draft a response and I apply a rule to myself. Don't send for 24 hours and then reread it and you can usually redraft it. And it doesn't add to the fire. So Paul had a face-to-face confrontation with Peter in front of everyone involved, but it was face-to-face with the person. There were no nice, pleasant words here. But he didn't tear Peter apart. He was firm but not destructive. He focused on the issue, not the person. So he dealt with what was happening and explained how it was out of line with the truth of the gospel. Now, he got pretty strong about it, but he was still focused on the issue. He pointed out Peter's hypocrisy. Peter had been quite happily having meals with his non-Jewish friends, but when the opposition group came from Jerusalem, he was afraid of being criticised. So he stopped eating meals with his Gentile friends. Can you just picture what was happening? Would you like to come and have a meal with us tonight, Peter? No, I can't, not tonight. Got something else on. Other, but there was another reason. Other people joined him. And this angered Paul because it was not consistent with the truth of the gospel. And he could see that Peter was succumbing to this factional group which would cause a rift in the church. That's why Paul gets steamed up and angry about it. So let's continue with the next part of the Bible reading. And Paul continues, you, that is Peter, and I, meaning Paul, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Now he uses, uh, Paul uses that phrase there because that's how the Jewish people regarded the Gentiles. They were sinners. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, And then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. So this part of Galatians 2 explains how we are able to have a right relationship with God 
which flows into a right understanding of ourselves and a right understanding of other people. By our faith in Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God and have a living, ongoing relationship with him. It's not about trying to be good or obeying a set of rules or embarking on a self-improvement program. As I said before, those things might be helpful, but they don't take the place, our faith in Jesus. The reason why? The moment you try to follow a rule and try to do it perfectly, there will be a time when you fail. You know where you've kind of set those rules for yourself? Well, I'm only going to eat healthy food this week and I'll start today. And, you know, once you set a rule, it's so <laughs> it becomes so easy to break it. And then you feel guilty and you start all over again. It's human nature. That's the essence of a law. We can never keep it perfectly. Now, Jesus pointed this out in the Sermon on the Mount when he reinterpreted the law, but he did not abolish the law. He pointed to the inner motivations we have that can be just as destructive as the outward acts. So, for instance, the law, do not murder. Jesus said, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. And that's written into our laws today too, because it protects life. Jesus went on to say, but I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. He even said that if we are ready to give our offering, and we know that someone has something against us, we should go and fix that up before we give our offering. You see, the law sets the bar so high that we can never reach it. The law cannot make us perfect. It's important to note that this does not mean that you are free to live however you like without regard for what God requires of us. And uh, we'll hear in a few weeks, Paul deals with this nature of Christian freedom and the law in Galatians 5 and 6. But Paul concludes this part by using his own experience to argue his case to the Jewish group. He said that he tried keeping rules and working hard to please God, but it didn't work. So he died to the demands of the law so that he could live for God. Just let me read from Philippians 3 where Paul writes about himself and why if he wanted to, he could have confidence. I was circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul stating what his credentials were as a Jewish person. Then he says, yet whatever gains I had, 
these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. So Paul had tried that, had tried living to the demands of the law, but it didn't work. And so we come to the third and last section. And this is a section that I really would have liked to have based the whole sermon on. When uh, Megan gave me this passage, I read it and I thought, oh, great, that's what I'm going to preach on. But no, verses 11 to 21. And when you're preparing to preach, you've got to do the hard work. And, uh, and so I actually enjoyed all the hard work and come to this part. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. In these verses, Paul explains how to experience a life that is truly free. We have one of Paul's greatest statements of what the Christian faith means. It's worth learning those verses and applying them to your life every day. Just like the children are learning verses out there in seeds, which is a wonderful thing to do. So we need to learn these key verses so that they come to us in those moments when we might not even have our Bible with us, but we can remember them. Pray over them. Ask the Holy Spirit to embed the truth of these words in your heart. You need nothing else for a statement of faith. What else can you add to that? Why did Jesus die? if we're going to add a whole lot of other rules. It's key to our life of faith. It means we can be free from our ego being central. We can be free from wanting people's good opinions of us. It doesn't actually matter. What matters is what God thinks of you. We can be free from trying to impress God and others. We can be free from having to meet additional expectations and the guilt that comes when you can't meet those expectations. Jesus has lifted it all. He meets us with gladness, each one of us. He meets us with grace. A beautiful statement from Anne Lamott. I do not understand the mystery of grace. It meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. We are free to be who we are in Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. The story is told of a woman who commenced her first job. And she made a disastrous error, a mistake, with the company's money. Not intentional. Once her mistake was discovered, she was hauled into the office of the owner of the company. 
she was highly anxious and was expecting to be fired from her job. She felt that was what she deserved. However, he spoke to her practically about the mistake, how it had happened, and instructed her in how best to correct it and not repeat it. As she left the room, she said to him, I was expecting to be fired. His answer, no, when we hire anyone, it is with mistakes included. In a life with God, we are already known through and through mistakes included. And we remember our mistakes far more than God does. He wiped Mm. That is a picture of grace. Do you know that grace in your life? Can you let go of other people's expectations of you? Do you need that grace and peace that the Lord Jesus Christ can give? If God is feeding you about that today, seek out someone to talk to about it. One of the ministers or me or someone else you trust. All you have to say is, I want to know more about the grace and peace that Jesus gives. You might have been a Christian for a long time, but God is calling you to refocus again on that wonderful statement of faith. It's on the screen, and I'm going to invite you to read it quietly to yourself. Take the words into your heart. I'm going to invite us all to say it together as like a statement of faith of what this church believes if you feel that you can say it. If you don't feel ready to say it, that's all right. You just say it in your heart. But if you can say it as a statement of faith, let's say it together. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If that's the first time you have really said it with meaning and God is applying those words to your heart, Speak to someone before you go so that you know that grace and peace. Grace to you, each one of you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to set us free.
doing it. I think we're all guilty of um, focusing on our mistakes and uh, it's quite amazing then that the next song they're going to sing is 10,000 Reasons because we've probably got 10,000 mistakes we've all made and probably 10,000 reasons to thank God for going, it's okay, I've dealt with it. So we're going to finish our service now by blessing the name of the Lord and singing together 10,000.